Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now on Food FM, you're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. Caroline and her guests make sense of the world through food, from politics to farming, making and cooking. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hello, I'm Caroline Kenyon and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Bread and Butter. And today we have a really fascinating guest, Lauren Lovett, who is known for having founded the Plant Academy, but has also recently produced the most beautiful book. And it's called Mind Food, Plant-Based Recipes for Positive Mental Health. Lauren, welcome to Bread and Butter. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, Lauren. Um, I have to say I'm completely captivated by your book. I love the content. I love the way that it's laid out. I love the photography. Reading the introduction, I realize it's the it's the fruition. It's, it's, it's the fruit of a long journey, isn't it, for you, Lauren? So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and sort of how, how that journey began, if you're happy to do so. Yeah, of course. So... Um... Well, firstly, thank you for your lovely kind of introduction. Exactly that. Mind food is very much my kind of path into food. So plant-based food is very much what I do now. And it's how I've kind of communicated through food and how I really got into the food industry. Whereas actually mental health and food is where it all began for me. I always cooked. Like I've been in the kitchen and cooking forever. I was very lucky when I was younger that my mum let me have free reign to do literally all of my experiments and things but like many people I never saw food as a career so I was kind of it was something I enjoyed but never something I actually thought that I could get into as a sort of you know full-time career or go to study it wasn't even on my sort of horizon to do that so I went down the route of studying art. I really loved drawing and illustration and all of those things. And I went off to un- well, university and did an art foundation. And during that time, I was still like excited about food. I remember like kind of cooking roast dinners for everyone in my halls and like trying to do lots of things, but obviously went down a very, very different route. And many people I met those at that time, you know, from all different walks of life had you know, we're going through various things with their mental health. And I was very fortunate when I was younger, I didn't necessarily come across those, you know, like, words like depression and bipolar and eating disorders, like, you know, I'd heard, you know, some friends had had like some issues, but there were they weren't such common words. This is kind of like, gosh, 10, 15, 20 years ago now. So there, 
coming, you know, going into that different world was kind of a very new place to be. And at that time, I fell in love. And my boyfriend at the time had um, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when we were together. And for both of us and all of our friends, this was a very, very new word, trying to understand what this meant and how you deal with it and the kind of impact that would have and how to manage it and all of those things. It was just such a new and different thing. And it was really, you know, a huge, huge challenge to try and understand. And at the time as well, things like, you know, what we were eating, how we were living, what we were kind of literally like, aside from our kind of art practice, we were obviously at university going out a lot, doing our thing. And, you know, the way we were choosing to live wasn't something that we realized was having such a huge impact, obviously, on top of that sort of, you know, on top of everything else as well. So going down this path and studying art and trying to kind of understand this, this kind of, yeah, new thing. Very long story short, we went after one year of art foundation, we went our separate ways to do our degrees, I was going off to do fashion design, he was going off to do photography. And unfortunately, during that time, he took his own life. And obviously, that sent me kind of spiraling, I got through my degree, but obviously, like I moved away from university, kind of moved back home, went into a spiral of eating disorders and depression and really started to, you know, see food, food had been something I always had loved. And it really became something that I turned upside down, I just became obsessed. So that went on for many, many years, very much as a coping mechanism of everything that had happened. And also a sort of, you know, I, I used it as something that I was putting my focus on when I was in a really, really bad place. It was just before the wellness industry was a thing and there was really no information out there. So coming to the end of this kind of five-year degree, I eventually was doing and I'd started to work in fashion and I was thinking this really isn't what I want to do. I'm not getting anything out of it. I was in a really bad place, but trying to sort of grapple for help at the time. And just as I was coming to the end, I... Um, had a great support system around me. My parents were very, very supportive. I had a counsellor, I was going to acupuncture, and I was starting to join the dots with food. My Luckily, my therapist at the time also had learned a lot about kind of food. She was celiac, and she was really like very tapped into what, what could help. So I ended up finishing my degree and doing my dissertation on mental health and food. And this was when I actually really needed it. I was thinking, oh, my God, how can I do this? Like, how can I actually like write my own story here? And I was with the support, actually knowing I could turn a corner. So I wrote a kind of trend book at the time called The Recipe for Wellbeing. And that book was literally like my blueprint for life ever since. It was all about rebranding mental health as a trend towards wellness in a way that would give accessible information for me and those like me who were kind of slipping through the gaps of getting good support or like finding it hard to get, you know, get better and really kind of implementing that in culture. So it was all about kind of cafe culture and how we could create kind of food and lifestyles that really fed our minds. So that propelled me into the food world. This is a story that's very hard to make shorter, but I jumped out of university, had this book, and I was very much on the path to kind of getting better myself. And at that time, I ended up meeting some amazing people, some of 
some people like Rob Reese, who was had a charity called the Wiggly Worm Charity that um, worked with people with very severe mental health issues, but training them through food. Other people that had amazing organic farm shops and restaurants. And um, the person that really was the one that enabled me to jump into um, food feet first was a woman called Kate Lewis, who started Asparagasm, which was one of the first vegan pop-ups in London. And I was sort of thinking, oh, how can I get into this food world? I didn't really know. Like, you know, I was taking lots of courses. It was hard to find something that was really more, you know, exciting and creative, but focused slightly more on health. I cooked so much as a child. I wasn't really interested in like, you know, souffles and filleting fish. I really spent a long time doing that already. And I was like, right, I really want to understand all these kind of ingredients that can actually change, you know, the way that we feel. So um, I met Kate and she was just about to open a permanent venue for Asparagasm, which was her pop-up. And it was all plant-based. I'd started to learn lots about this kind of way of life. And I came on as the general manager. We spent six months sort of setting up, finding the team, developing recipes with our executive chef. And within a few weeks of us opening, he left and I just had to step into the kitchen. So that was really how I came to be in food. So the first thing to say is there's so much in the story that you've just so openly and honestly shared and, and, and so much pain and sadness and anguish. And yet you've emerged effectively triumphant and you're, you're such a joyful personality. So I, I salute you because it must have been such a tough, tough road to walk. But can we just go back a little bit. I'm just really intrigued. Let's let's just understand a little bit more about little Lauren and growing up. And you say how, you know, your mother gave you free reign and you're allowed to cook. That was unusual. Were you a foodie family? Were your parents cooking? Did you talk about food? We um we were a very foodie family in that we loved obviously loved to eat, loved to eat out. My parents have always been big fans of finding amazing places to go, you know, like local kind of places that are doing something different. I'd always when we were going go on holiday, we would go to some, you know, lovely lovely places around Europe and always they would find a way of finding great things. So there were lots of experiences. I think when I was really quite young, one of the places I went to, gosh, I'm not sure how old I was. We went there for a few years was this um, place called um, Cala San Vincente in Mallorca. And the chef at this hotel did an olive oil tasting menu. And from when I was about 10, we were going to these like to these dinners and my, I was just so excited about it. I was like, you can make olive oil ice cream. Like, you know, like things like that, just really, you know, I was really, really into it. And as I got a bit older, I would then be the one, you know, doing the research and being like, actually, can we try this place? And we've been to some wild and wonderful places over the years. But yeah, they've always been very excited about food, but they, my dad can't cook anything apart from beans on toast. My mum enjoys cooking, but kind of sticks to her classics. So I think she really was you know, enjoyed that it was something that I would just dive into and be, you know, make it, I'd come back from school and kind of, I used to leaf through the Leith's cookery book at the time and make like, you know, souffles and like things like this. I was just, yeah, I just was really into it. That's so interesting. I think there's a, there's a great overlap between art and cookery because you mentioned that you, you studied art and I, it doesn't come as a surprise to me. I think, I think cooking is an art. You know, people say, oh, it's a science or a skill. And no, it's not. It's, I mean, yes, of course, there's science involved. But I always think, um, you know, you can give two people the same ingredients and the same recipe. And with one, it'll be just so 
deliciously wonderful and one it can just be sort of averagely nice and there's a magic isn't there and that's where the art comes in it's that magical extra sprinkling of fairy dust when you were when you were growing up how did food fit in your life you say that you you know when you were an art student that you were cooking for all your all your sort of fellow art students and so on but were you just cooking a very traditional kind of repertoire when was it that sort of the more plant-based approach to life came in was that Mm. after you'd been through the very sad loss of your boyfriend and your own struggles with food yeah I mean I looking back like I've sort of reflected on this a few times and actually when I was very very young I would always eat like I'd have roast dinners without the meat like I just that's how I preferred it I'd have whatever sandwiches without the butter like I just didn't like those kind of foods when I was you know tiny whereas as I as I grew up, obviously, I kind of would try anything. And I was actually very into trying anything and everything and trying very unique kind of like, you know, going to different places and trying very strange and unusual cuts of meat and things. But it was the plant based thing really came in, I think, when after being very unwell, I cut lots of foods out of my diet. When I started to reintroduce them, foods like um, dairy specifically and gluten were I was feeling really like exhausted and I was like what is happening like why am I eating and feeling so strange and it was those foods that I realized they really just weren't working with my body at that time so I started to be like okay like I'm gonna have to sort of like you know twist how I was eating before I can't necessarily go straight back to that and I was really lucky in a way that that this was when there were more kind of plant-based foods coming out like we were slightly more aware of like vegan cheeses or you know more sort of like gluten-free options so I was very much like opening to this way of eating but I was still not vegan in in any way I was you know eating fish quite a lot probably some meat but more kind of I think more pescatarian and then it was really when I started to take different cookery courses so I found um like I said I was kind of looking at things like the cordon bleu wasn't really like feeling like the right fit for me at the time and I met someone called Deborah Durant who had a raw cookery school um she used to hold her classes at Demuths and also in the Forest of Dean I started to take her courses and I was like, wow, like this is different. And they were so beautiful. Like obviously, like you say, the art, the kind of the the way that these dishes came together was just so mesmerizing. I got really, really excited by that way of eating, especially like including ingredients I hadn't heard of before. You know, things like when I was growing up, I don't remember having like avocados or like goji berries or, you know, there were things I had. I didn't have so many blocks around. So when I was struggling to reintroduce things, I was like, these are just new things. And it was really much easier for me to like enjoy that way of eating. And then I actually went vegan when I got invited to get involved with asparagasm because I was like, I can't open a vegan restaurant and it, and not try, you know, this. And I literally from one day to the next was like, okay, I'm just going to, I was only eating fish at the time because I couldn't have gluten. I've never eaten eggs. And yeah, that was just where I was. And yeah, it just, it really, really worked for me. And I never really looked back. I think sometimes your body tells you what you need. I think instinct plays a great part in this you know they say with um with babies because you know often mothers of newborns they're really anxious about you know what their baby's eating and you know, they'll, they'll only eat broccoli one week and only carrot mushed up carrot the next and they've done tests with babies where they put out a selection of foods and they allow the baby to reach for the food that they want to eat and over the week apparently they do eat a balanced diet which I think is quite fascinating. So there's something instinctive in us. You know, I speak as somebody, I, I gave up sugar about six years ago, so I don't have, put, well, 
I don't have puddings with with sugar in or cake or biscuits or chocolate. You know, I try to be much more plant-based. I will have a little bit of of honey or something or maple syrup perhaps in something, but I felt so much better. And I think it was just my body just saying, do you know what? I don't think sugar is such a great thing. I didn't read it. Nobody told me. It was just what I reached towards. So it sounds as though not only your body, but also your soul was reaching towards this way of of eating, wasn't it, Lauren? That you're, you knew that somehow it was going to to save and rehabilitate you. Totally. I mean, it literally is so interesting, like you say, how it is those kind of like, you know, chance meetings or conversations or things that just spark these ideas. But then when you look back, it is like, okay, actually, that was what always felt better. And it just took those like little nudges along the way to actually be like, okay, I'm going to try it and sort of see what it's like. But yeah, definitely was the thing that was in there somewhere. And I just knew that it would work. But does, let's just um, chat a bit more about how you are now. I mean, obviously you are, to use a word that someday is pejorative, and I mean it in the most positive sense, you are evangelical about how you live and how you eat. I mean, how you eat and how you live are completely intertwined. I don't see any separation between the two. And your your book is lovely because it's not... It's not didactic. It's not finger wagging at all. It's very explanatory. It's very friendly. It's very warm. So tell me how that can more kind of um, teachery kind of um, approach uh, came into your life. So you'd you'd started at asparagasm. You'd embraced the plant-based lifestyle. So how did it come about that then you thought, I want to share what I've learned with other people? During my time at asparagasm, so we were open for about two and a half years and my um original um kind of cookery teacher Deborah she had done the course um in LA with Matthew Kenny so I'd been like wow I would love to go and do this like kind of more professional chef training because so many people during that time I was you know in the kitchen and not not hosting my own supper clubs yet but we used to have a lot of guest chefs coming into the restaurant and I would sort of be learning from them and I just think, wow, I'd love to go over to LA and take that course. So, you know, so many people would ask, are you professionally trained? And I'd be like, oh, you know, that's, you know, it's like always felt a bit of a thing. So I ended up finding a way to go over to LA, found someone to look after the restaurant while I wasn't there. And my mind was just blown, like going away for what started off as one month and ended up being sort of four months of this professional course. Um, being surrounded by people that were also doing the same thing, opening businesses around the world. And it was, yeah, it was a really life-changing experience. And during that time, I was kind of taking classes, meeting people, teaching the courses that were very, you know, similar to myself. They'd had different experiences. And I kept, and I kind of, I think the seed was planted that like, you know, you could be doing this, like you could, you know, teach courses like this. You could, you know, do share your knowledge in a different way. So I started to do some mini classes at Asparagasm. I'd been invited to do a few different things, but after when Asparagasm was kind of coming to the end, I was wanting to go away again. Uh, We had so many different things happening and we decided to close the permanent space And the company that I've been training with offered me a job to start teaching and open them a plant-based cookery school in Barcelona. So I was like, okay, like, you know, when it just kind of comes up and it's like, yeah, I I think I could do that. So I moved to Barcelona, opened the cookery school. We held um, their sort of three-part course. And that was really what started you know it's just that invitation that enabled me to start teaching I'd sort of 
you know, been working alongside assisting so many people over the years. I used to be fascinated by cookery courses. Like it was, you know, I was spending a lot of time going to them. So yeah, so I ended up going to Barcelona. And then from there teaching, I also got invited to teach over in Bali, where I teach a raw food course now every year. And that was really where it all came about and ended up leading me to Open Plant Academy in London, which is my own cookery school. And that very much feeds into the way that I write these recipes and kind of get them across in the book as well. And how do you feel about um, the conventional medical approach to mental health, Lauren? And I, I tell you why I ask. I have a stepdaughter who is a GP and she's a very talented doctor, very kind, very sensitive, thoughtful uh, young woman. And she got involved in the world of nutrition when she had her first child because he showed a, a markedly sweet tooth from a very early age and she didn't want to give him sugary things. So she started experimenting with baking with, you know, carrot and butternut squash and all that sort of thing. And it got her interested in nutrition. So she enrolled herself on a two-year nutritional diploma with a view to converting it into a degree. She told me that she hadn't had one single hour of nutritional training in 11 years of training to be a GP. Not one hour. I said to her when she finished her diploma, first of all, I congratulated her because I don't know how you do that with being a doctor and small children and all of that. I said, has it changed your doctoring? And she said, completely. So she's unusual in the conventional medical world. Mm -hmm. And then there's somebody like you who wants to treat mental health with diet. I mean, obviously it can't cure everything, but you can alleviate all sorts of symptoms, can't you? How do you try and explain uh, or convince people who are skeptical and just want to kind of reach for drugs or whatever it might be? How does that play out for you? Yeah, totally. It's, it's such a good question. I think it's really exciting now that there are so many more, you know, GPs and people kind of actually, you know, really working to combine those things. Because I think definitely when I was needing it, that was what was missing. And I just knew the treatment that I was being offered, at, the conventional treatment I was being offered in, at the time, just was, I knew it was the wrong thing for me. And it was, you know, quite bold and scary at the, in that moment. But, you know, things like acupuncture, that was actually what enabled me to actually want to get better, you know, it shifted something in me. So I'd really, you know, I very much understand the kind of more kind of holistic practices and I think it's always that combination of the two things I mean it's you know if you have a good GP amazing if you have someone that maybe isn't quite so understanding or knows what you're talking about then you know it can be a very you know difficult and awful experience so I mean mind food is very much about sort of spreading this general awareness it's for people I kind of you know wrote it for me back then like people that were falling through the gaps that just needed a bit more understanding and just couldn't get any clear information about what you could actually do to support your mind. So the idea with mind food is really that it's this more like common awareness of like if everyone knew like you can do these things that can you know generally you know support your mood this is like a kind of really healthy good way of eating and then when someone does go through a more challenging time there's something there that you can really lean on and be like okay I've got these tools in my toolbox these are the things that I know you know something that can help me sleep this thing might make me slightly more anxious other things might give me more energy I really think at the moment it's this kind of it's amazing to see people in different industries bringing this like awareness 
and it's just joining all the dots. I feel like we're sort of a few steps away for getting that, getting this information out there, but it's just, you know, really connecting with people that can get to people that need it, but also this kind of common awareness. I feel like, yeah, Mind Food is all about that, like spreading it more generally and then also working with nutritionists and doctors who are really, really in the field. And there's some amazing people out there. I love to follow the brain health doctors. You know, there's people out there now that you can, you know, if you're following the right people, I feel like everyone needs to be sort of connected together so people can actually find the right information and support themselves a bit better. That's so interesting. And I was sort of thinking alongside that, of course, you know, there's there's big business and some of big business is piling into sort of plant based food but a lot of it's very highly processed um but also there is that kind of very the, the traditional ultra pro- processed food lobby which you know chocolates and crisps and ready meals which is just packed full of salt and fat and all that sort of thing so they're they're very powerful because they're rich so it's mm. it's kind of who gets their hand on the lever of government quite interesting that we're recording today when we've got a new prime minister uh, who's a practicing Hindu, and I know that he doesn't drink, but I wonder if he eats a plant-based diet. Yeah, It'd be interesting it would be to know. Wouldn't interesting it? to know. Yes, because the Indian tradition of vegetarianism is sort of great and historic, isn't it? Mm, yeah, exactly. No, I mean that's like you say, it's a very interesting time, and it is. I mean, you know, plant-based food, heavily processed. You know, like the the industry of kind of pharmaceuticals and drugs. It's you know, it is tricky, obviously, to get all of these things out there in that way. And I get one of the things I get very kind of frustrated about is the, you know, people thinking, you know, adaptogens and things, they're so expensive. Da, da, da. And you think, you know, I often feel one of the missing links is this awareness of these more potent plants that we can actually use to, you know, use ourselves to actually like support are the book is kind of coded into different moods so things that you can actually use like I've said about sort of energy focus kind of calming but if that awareness was more common knowledge and it was actually like but you know is this is this fine line between it being sort of suddenly as we're seeing with medicinal mushrooms sucked into the industry and then they sort of you don't actually know which ones are good and not so much but there's definitely a lot of work to be done in terms of actually like putting the power and knowledge in our hands so we know what we're buying and what actually is going to make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, I feel really optimistic, Lauren. I think people are, it's becoming much more widespread, that understanding. Because I, I, it's interesting you mentioned acupuncture because I had ME in my mid-20s, which I think was a hangover from um, a virus I caught when I was trekking in the Himalayas with a a girlfriend we were backpacking in our early 20s and I got some nasty bug and three years later it popped up when I was back in London and it just completely felled me for a year but it was acupuncture that cured me which is amazing but we are talking a long time ago because I'm so much older than you and and nutrition was not really a thing nobody talked to me about nutrition I've had to work it all out for myself slowly slowly unpick it and it's been more from what my my body has told me rather than anything that I could find written until probably the last, I would say even five years. But it does feel hopeful, doesn't it? You feel that we're not we're not just these you know mad people howling into the wind anymore. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's a very hopeful time. We're so lucky now that you know that I've noticed, especially in the world of mental health, since. I think when I just finished the book last year and in the last sort of, say, 18 months, 
there's been so much more coming out in terms of like great research, like amazing people sharing things and, you know, people really getting things out there in a way like we've never seen before and away from this world of kind of, you know, more sterile, unappealing, you know, food or ways of being. Whereas now I think we're definitely turning a corner in terms of sharing what's possible through how you choose to live. Oh, what a lovely optimistic note on which to end our conversation. Lauren, thank you so much. I've loved talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. You're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.